Once you've marked that song that's been asked of us to mark, we'll certainly reach that time when, at least for the next few moments, we can open the Word of God with a degree of excitement and look yet again at perhaps a record that's very familiar in some regards, but nonetheless, matters in it will be very blessed for us as we consider the application this evening. Would you please be turning to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts? It is the case, isn't it, that in that 8th chapter we encounter a number of familiar matters, but it is the latter part of the chapter that will consume our attention this evening. Beginning with the 26th verse, we shall in fact begin reading in just a moment, but to move us in that direction, could I at least invite you to consider this introductory slide. There are many times when you may hear someone make reference to personal work in relation to the gospel. That is to say, they will either refer to it as something that they or someone they know either has or perhaps is doing, and sometimes even in regard to the church, we wonder about that kind of thing. Each of us this evening will be in a position to consider that definition that I've asked you to note. What is this? About the middle of the slide. By personal work, we mean this, that effort expended on an individual basis to share the message of the gospel with others. That particular effort or endeavor is one that we find exemplified here before us, and so may I suggest there's some things about Philip. There are things about the eunuch that, in fact, should be very interesting for us. Allow me to begin reading in verse 26, and let's let the Bible, in fact, set the matter before us, and then we will consider it in some detail. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, who had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself unto this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, the, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea.
And at that point, the chapter closes. But what an interesting saga. A record that can no doubt teach many things, and we will simply look at it from the following perspective by drawing a few observations and applying them to ourselves today. First of all, as we give thought to what we've just read, it is impressive to note the attitude exemplified by Philip. Consider some of the details I've invited you to consider with me. Earlier in this chapter, we are rather clearly told that Philip was laboring in the area of Samaria. And not only was he laboring there, but we find earlier in the chapter, there was a notable success to be had. So much so that you might recall that even Peter and John had to be sent to that area because so many were converted and they needed hands laid on them so that they could impart the miraculous measures of the Holy Spirit. The degree of success perhaps is also echoed by the nature of some of the particulars of verse 12. Please note it with me. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. One of the points we can readily take, there was tremendous success for the gospel in the area of Samaria. The second point on that slide, though, was this. Despite that degree of success... The very first verse that we read a moment ago in verse 26 pointed out, an angel of the Lord appeared to Philip and directly told him something. Directly told him, please note the command, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. You'll notice that he wasn't being asked or commanded to go to a highly populated place. It was a desert area. It was rather desolate. It was, in fact, very much opposite from the conveniences and the confines of a city. And yet, the angel of the Lord gave him this order. But now note Philip's response. The text says that Philip heard and went. Without never so much as a question, without ever so much as an argument, without ever so much as even any different kind of suggestion to be made. The text merely says, He arose and went. First statement of verse 27. The first lesson I've invited each of us to consider tonight is, look at the attitude that Philip had. You might have argued, Lord, I'm having great success here. Why send me anywhere else? I'm already enjoying a tremendous characteristic of sending forth the gospel. Why should I go anywhere else? And yet, the angel of the Lord gave this order. Philip must be commended for taking seriously that which the angel suggested. The text says he arose and went. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, what about the application to us? We understand the precious power attached to the gospel and the wonderful message it's ours to share it. Didn't Jesus say in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. You'll notice then those words were, of course, directed at that point initially to the apostles. But through the nature of the fullness of the Lord's inspiration, we realize each of us are in a position to understand that burden, that chore, that work upon us. How are we doing at this? What are we able to say then about the powerful message of the Word of God in that regard? 
Sometimes in the New Testament, we often hear about the particular works of the church divided into perhaps three categories. On the one hand is benevolence. On another hand is edification. But that third one is typically called evangelism. However we wish to think about it, we notice here that Philip took rather seriously the challenge and the charge given to him, and he thus arose and went. The last thing on that slide would remind us of the importance attached to that work, at least as it concerns the attitude. Earlier in this chapter, verse number 4 reads, "...they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word." Those early saints, then, as they encountered challenges and difficulties and direct persecution, they were quick to perhaps even appreciate the taking of the Word with them in the various places that they went. Not only is Philip's attitude a very intriguing matter to prompt us in light of personal work, look at the next matter. The value that one might easily attach to a single soul. In particular, you've already appreciated the details that might be said, but why don't we at least share some of them again. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. That includes everybody that has reached an age of accountability that has not obeyed the gospel. And that's a lot of people, isn't it? That's a lot of individuals in the world. And yet, you and I read instances such as this one, And doesn't it prompt us with that which was on the mind of the Lord as He directed Philip in this regard? In Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Those words from Jesus reminded those of that day, and still they remind us how valuable a single soul is even one of them worth more than all the physical matters this world has to offer. It is with that in mind, the angels told Philip, Go, leave Samaria where you now are, and proceed to this desert area between Jerusalem and Gaza. I'm sure that it would be easy to imagine such a question crossing my mind if I had been in that position. Why go there? I'm unlikely to meet very many people. It's unlikely that there will be a large populace of individuals to which the gospel can even be preached in this place. And yet the angel's words were very clear. If you look at a map, you'll observe that Philip traveled approximately 50 miles from where he was to this place between Jerusalem and Gaza. 50 miles. Now, to us today, that may not seem like that far to travel, admittedly. But to Philip's day, that was not an insignificant distance of travel, was it? And yet that 50 miles might lead us to appreciate Philip did it. We aren't told exactly how long it may have taken him. But he arrived, and he arrived at the particular time in which he was able to meet the person who apparently the angel had in mind. Maybe a couple of last things on that slide. The value of one soul. Doesn't it remind us a bit about the Lord's teaching in Luke 15? Do you remember that there was a description of a hundred sheep? There were 99 of them safe in the fold. 
99 did not need to be found. 99 did not need the particular effort concerned with this matter, but one was lost. The text says that the 99 were left while the shepherd, the person, went to find the one. And upon finding it, there was great rejoicing. Maybe that reminds us, again, of the value attached to a single soul. As we close that slide, three quick observations might then be these. Surely, if you and I are to be effective in sharing the message of the gospel, three obvious things will need to be present. One, a commitment on our part of a worthwhile example in life. If folks don't see in us anything different from what they see in the world, it's unlikely we're ever going to attract them or make the way of Christ seem appealing to them. But not only that, they'll also need to see a dedication in us, a devotion that this message means something to them. This message, in fact, is an all-encompassing thing to them. And so our life of faithfulness will be on display as they consider whether or not they're interested in something which they don't even believe themselves. But maybe in the final consideration, knowledge is going to be valuable, isn't it? When they ask of us questions, and when they in fact direct the conversation in a certain way, are we equipped and ready to share the truth of the Word of God to them in addressing those issues they raise? It's a good, it's a good point, isn't it? In 1 Peter 3.15, the inspired writer said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and with fear. And so it's our desire to not only have those qualities, but to use them in a way similar to what Philip did. Point number three. On this particular slide, the first one, mine at initial consideration be less than obvious. But I think with a moment's reflection, it, it is clear enough, isn't it? There are some issues which are not terribly important when it comes to this subject. I've asked you to note a few of them. Have you ever given consideration? Picture typically what you suppose Philip would have looked like. What kind of man was he? Where did he come from? By the same token, picture this Ethiopian eunuch. What kind of man was he and what did he look like? I would at least offer the suggestion there were probably some rather significant differences between the two gentlemen. Differences such as skin color. Differences such as ethnic background. Differences such as that which ultimately were the kind of individuals that they had come to appreciate. Notice again... This treasure from Ethiopia was probably a fairly well-to-do man. May have been somewhat wealthy. That probably wasn't true of Philip. You and I remember earlier from the book of Acts that when we first encounter Philip, and even in the days following, we don't get the impression that he was a wealthy, wealthy man. That probably was a great difference between these two. Not only that, as you reflect upon other matters of their difference. The third point on the slide is this. None of those things made any valuable difference. Consider what the God of heaven has said on many occasions. I am no respecter of persons. Romans 2 verse 11. In fact, in this very book, two chapters from now, in Acts chapter 10, 
when the scene of Cornelius arose, you recall that Cornelius was this man of the Italian band. He was well respected in many ways. And yet, in the opening verses of Acts chapter 10, we notice a particular matter developing, and by the time we reach verse 34, Peter could say to him, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that worketh righteousness and accepts of the truth is accepted of him. Now there it says, in every nation. So today, we understand how valuable we can appreciate the matters concerning issues touching the issues of personal evangelism. Maybe one last point before we leave that one. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That seems to have no bearing or reference to what we would call the color of the skin. For those with different skin colors than us, they too have a soul. And they too are immortal spirits. And Jesus came to die for them just as much as He did for us. A second point on that slide is urgency. The issue attached to urgency. Did you note the language that was used for us in verse 30? It says, Philip ran thither to him. Perhaps you could imagine in the distance this chariot moving along the roadway between Jerusalem and Gaza. And yet, there was a person in it, in fact more than one it would seem, and Philip ran thither to meet the chariot. Isn't that an interesting scene and one that's easy to imagine? It does highlight in us an understanding of that urgency even today. I've listed a statistic there for you. According to the United States Census Bureau, as far as the tally of those that are born and of those that are dying, you'll appreciate that on average, two people die worldwide every second. Two people every second pass from this life and at that point are then in the realms of eternity. No opportunity to change anything that was or was not the case on earth. No opportunity to, in fact, make any obedience to the gospel then if it hadn't already been done. Two people every second. It's easy to appreciate then that in light of even a period of time such as a minute, think about how many individuals then that would now mean. And translate that to an hour. With an hour, of course, consisting of some 60 minutes and each minute consisting of some 60 seconds. We now realize 3,600. The urgency is easy to see, then, is it? That's why the church places such great emphasis upon matters such as making sure that we provide the necessary support for missionaries who carry this message. But also, not only in distant places, we each can be missionaries in our local communities, and in our way of life, and in those with whom we come in contact. That urgency is interestingly seen in some other passages which I've invited you to note. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and following, Jesus Himself spoke about a rich man and Lazarus, and He highlighted a great deal of difference in this life between these two. The rich man fared sumptuously each day, and he was clothed in a very fine way. But you'll notice that Lazarus was very different. He seemingly was bereft of most of the conveniences of life. 
But yet, in the fact that they died, note how different things were. Then it was the rich man who found himself wanting. It was the rich man who found himself in a place wherein he merely wanted someone to cool his tongue. But on the other hand, Lazarus was blessed in a place of bliss and in a place of comfort. Isn't it rather fascinating? That rich man, it says, became a bit evangelistic at that point in life. I've got five brothers. Please send somebody to preach to them, to tell them, so that they don't come to this place. You and I have the message that we could share, hopefully, that those whom we preach to, or at least share with, they will have an interest in, and they too will avoid this place. That sense of urgency is only highlighted when you consider passages like 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Today is the day of salvation. The New Testament describes in such a direct way how that instances like this one which we read concerning Philip help us see that this message that we possess is a rich and needful thing. Look at the next point with me. How do we employ this? I've asked you to consider what I've entitled questions. How is it that we might use questions? First of all, did you notice that when Philip first started the conversation with the eunuch, how did he start it? Could I direct your attention again to verse 30? Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. He said, Understandest thou what thou readest? I know that we each understand. We have come to a point when often in our society, there are those who would not consider well a question like that one. But may I suggest that in an earnestness and with a soft voice, maybe it would be a wonderful tactical approach to ask someone, do you understand what you're reading? Do you have a sense of what Jesus is teaching in passages? Do you understand what the Lord demands of you? You'll notice in this instance, it is true that this eunuch was reading in the book of Isaiah. And it was based upon that that Philip took him from what he was doing and used that as a springboard to the remainder of the discussion. Do you understand what you're reading? To ask that question was then to put one in a position to obviously have an understanding about that. Philip did know what that passage dealt with, and he did understand what its features were, and he could use them to the glory of God to help this eunuch. On the next matter of that slide, do you then see with me how that that statement could be seen like this? We live in a world today in which the knowledge of the Bible is becoming exceedingly scarce. It's true, isn't it, that if you take a census, and quite often this is done, and if you ask people, are you a Christian? A lot of people in our country will say they are. They will in fact say that they are, but yet how often do they attend any church services of any kind, much less those in which the truth is presented? And quite often it's very rarely, if ever. Needless to say, their knowledge of the Bible is exceedingly thin, almost to the point of being non-existent. I would suggest that we can use that quite often to our advantage in that we know what the Word of God teaches on so many particulars, and we could use it just like Philip did. Do you understand what you're reading? 
and with calmness and confidence, we would be able to then help them see that the verses that are involved in places are connected to other ones and great truths are presented. One last point about that is that surely, as we would make use of questions, we would never wish to be rude, never wish to be arrogant, never wish to have an impression whereby we imply a holier-than-thou attitude. That's not the idea. Much like Philip, he ran to the chariot. He was excited to share the truth which he possessed and knew. The last point on that slide is the matter of teaching. Once Philip arrived at the chariot, what did he do with it? Let's develop that point like this. Philip, note verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture. Philip wasn't interested in his own opinion. He wasn't interested, you see, in speculation or what would otherwise be the common lot of human understanding. He shared the Scriptures. It is true, that's the only thing that's going to save anybody. It isn't what I think or what you prefer or what other conveniences might be discussed. And it's not the weather and it's not ball games and it's not things like that. Those might be segues into a conversation, but at some point, the discussion needs to turn to the Word of God. Aren't we impressed with how Philip did this? He began at the same Scripture. Now, you and I would realize, based on a reading of the book of Isaiah, that that place wherein the eunuch was reading happened to be in Isaiah 53. That's the very chapter in which the suffering servant is described. It's the very chapter wherein we read about one who was wounded for somebody else's transgressions. There was one who was blessed in that. It was by his stripes others were healed. The text says that beginning from that scripture, Philip preached Jesus. The preaching of Jesus is fundamental, isn't it? We would thrill at the thought then of arriving at the point of speaking about our Savior, speaking about the one who died for us, speaking about the sinless one who voluntarily gave his life that one and all might have their sins forgiven. Philip, it seems, rather quickly moved the conversation in that direction. Today, as you think about the matter of teaching, we are quick to still understand that only Jesus can save and so we are thrilled to be His ambassadors, that is to say, those who today can work on His behalf. Maybe one last thought on that slide would be this one. We are never interested to substitute something else for the Word of God. Any time in the Bible that was done, it led to dangerous situations, and quite often it led to condemnation. I've asked you to notice that text in Matthew fifteen nine. When they substituted the commands of God, and they took them out and put in place the doctrines of me, and Jesus said their worship was vain, and it says they only were moving in directions that were not good. So far as we have seen all of these things about Philip, maybe it's at this point we can now observe where does it all lead us. We pause at verse 35 to note this. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. As he shared the message of truth and as he shared the wonders of Jesus, look at the next verse. 
And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, Here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The thrill of that verse never ceases to pass from us, does it? To appreciate that as the course of the conversation, the eunuch, you see, didn't become defensive. He didn't say, well, that's the way you see it. I see it differently. He didn't say, we're merely traveling two different roadways to the same destination of heaven. Aren't we impressed? This eunuch apparently hung on every word that Philip shared. He listened intently to the sharing of Jesus. And at this point in verse number 36, aren't we impressed with the eunuch in this regard? He stopped the preacher in mid-sermon. Here was Philip speaking about Jesus, speaking about the nature of what was involved in obeying Jesus and all the blessings, no doubt, that came with being faithful to Jesus. And yet it was a eunuch that said, Hold it! Here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? I suspect that you've not had many occasions wherein that has happened, where someone gets to the thought of baptism before you do. They get to the point of saying, Hold it, I'd like to be baptized. Can we go to the church building now? I can meet you there in five minutes. It seems as if we must be very impressed. The eunuch hearing what Philip had to say and seeing it in the text of the Word of God itself, he was one in verse 36 who said, see, here's water. This water beside a roadway there in this desert area, this solitary place, there was enough water for a baptism. And the eunuch wanted to be baptized at once. To consider that particular matter takes us to the next slide, which some of these matters lead us to ponder the following. We have every right to experience or to appreciate a confidence. You and I, you see, are those who have been present in many, many worship services and in Bible studies and in our own study of the Word of God. And for those reasons, we know enough of the Word of God to help lead someone to Jesus, to share with them what the Bible has to say. And in so doing, we don't rely upon our own thinking, our own speculation, because our knowledge of the Word of God is enough to make our opportunity a confident one. I hope that each of us can think about matters in that connection. Maybe we're fearful that I'm afraid they'll ask me a question I don't know how to answer. Don't let that stop you. If they ask some question and you aren't quick to the verse, simply ask them. That's a great question. Could we study about that next time? And it'll allow you an opportunity to perhaps visit a passage, study on your own, and be ready to enter into a discussion on that topic or maybe a different one. That degree of confidence perhaps leads us to verses like this one. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if you and I are faithful to Him, He will allow us opportunities wherein we can share His truth and His message with other people. It might be that that's neighbors or friends or family members, co-workers or others. But Philip's example maybe is one that we would be able to experience where someone would say to us, Could I be baptized? Let's go ahead and notice how Philip handled it even when that statement was made. Philip said in verse 37, 
If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. As I read verse number 37, if you're reading in some translations, that verse doesn't appear. In other words, some of those translations, in fact, from the sources that they were based upon, it's that verse that's not present. I would offer this. There are some credible reasons for thinking that that verse is legitimate. At the very least, could we not say this? There are other passages that speak about the necessity of confession and other passages that highlight the beauty and needfulness of it. At this point, verse 38 says this, "...He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him." Did you notice they both went down into the water? We are talking about then something different than a sprinkling and something different than, let's say, a pouring of a little water. Philip could easily have scooped some water out of that particular place of water if that had been all required. But, of course, baptism is a burial, isn't it? And so it was that verse 39 then says, When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit caught away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Did you notice the distinction that happened in this man? This eunuch at first was confused. He was perplexed. He was reading in a passage, and he said, I don't know, what's the man talking about? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? And yet that confusion gave way to confidence, and it gave way to rejoicing. That will happen every time somebody obeys the gospel. What at first was mired in distancing from God and mired with sinful character, that gives way to forgiveness, and it gives way to union with God. And so it is that as we've studied those things tonight, we too have been reminded of a number of simple, helpful matters that can be a blessing to us as we strive to be those involved in personal evangelism with confidence, with a knowledge of the Word of God, and with a love for souls, and with an understanding of the Word of God that can help cleanse them. We are equipped to close our lesson like this. It's a conclusion slide. We've talked about Philip's example of personal evangelism. And it's been an example that's touched us in many ways. It's been an example in which we see God Himself ringing loudly with an encouragement to the value of a single soul. This evening and throughout the remainder of our lives, may we be faithful to the Lord in ourselves and always anxious for the opportunities He gives us to share the message of truth with those who are about us. This evening, as we close this lesson, it may be someone in this assembly would have a desire to obey the gospel. Maybe you've heard many a sermon and maybe thought about many elements of the Word of God yourself. But to this point, you've never put on the Lord in baptism. Jesus does demand that of you, and it will be a great blessing for your life. It will put you into Christ in the words of Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. If you, however, have known faithfulness at one time, and perhaps as of tonight, your mind is beset with questions and your mind is littered with difficulties and matters that are causing great distress in life. Notice the blessing that came to the eunuch. In this knowledge of Christ and obedience to Him, he went on his way rejoicing.
whatever the features otherwise would have been, they melted away in his conviction concerning Jesus. In many ways, that could happen for you and me too. Because our priority in life will be fixed. What's most important will be set. And our conviction in those matters will make everything else far smoother. And it'll equip us with all the characteristic mental matters to face them correctly. Tonight, if then, there would be someone with a need to perhaps rededicate your life to the Lord. We'd be happy to assist, to help, to offer prayers unto God on your behalf. If we could be of assistance in either of these ways, why don't you come and let us assist you while together we stand and while we sing.